Good evening, everyone. We praise the Lord for your presence here this evening and pray that you might be blessed as a result and that as we share the Word of God together, the Spirit of God who wrote the Word would be the one to illuminate our minds, to help us to understand it, and then He as the indwelling energizer will enable us to fulfill that Word. Now, this evening we are going to conclude at least this portion of it, our spiritual audit, our checkup of our spiritual lives. We believe that this is an important undertaking for us because of the dire consequences uh, if we fail to do so. There's two portions of scripture that we looked at as the basis for this. And of course, it was based on the idea and the understanding, of course, that we've begun a new year and we need to take stock of our lives spiritually the same way we take stock of our business or other aspects of our life as well. We look first of all at the passage in Second Peter, where Peter, um, in chapter 1, he gives us a list of virtues beginning from verse 5. He says, Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, your knowledge, self-control, and your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours, you are increasing. Now here, the, the qualities have to be there for this spiritual growth to occur. If these are yours and are increasing, then they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You are a growing Christian. Your relationship with the Lord is a good one. But now notice verse 9. Because he who lacks these qualities is blind and nearsighted. So the implication is, in fact, the teaching is if we don't have these virtues in our lives as believers, we are spiritually myopic. We are short-sighted. Not only that, the reason for it being, uh, being short-sighted spiritually is that we have forgotten our purification from our former sins. In other words, it's as though we were not regenerated in the first place. We forgot who we were. Therefore, he says, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling, that's Jesus' calling, and choosing you. Notice what he says now. Be all the more diligent. Why be all? Because you check your life with all these virtues. Are they present? Are you adding to them or not? And if you feel a little uncomfortable, he says, be all the more diligent to make certain about Jesus' calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you'll never stumble in your relationship to Christ, is the idea. These virtues, as long as they are being exercised in your life. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. In other words, 
These qualities, these virtues are related to our enjoyment and in fact even our entrance into the kingdom of God. Now that is enough. Paul picks it up. In the chapter in Galatians that we've been studying, those are the positive virtues. Paul does the same thing in Galatians chapter 5. And this is what he says. But I say, walk by the Spirit. This is verse 16. And you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Because the flesh sets a desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident. And we looked at all of these this morning. Well, not all of them. We'll complete them in just a few moments. But he goes to the list. And this is he said, what he says now in verse 21. Of which I have forewarned you, just as I have done before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. You see the same emphasis? Our relationship to the kingdom of heaven can be determined by an evaluation as to whether or not these traits, characteristics are either present in our lives or missing. And then of course he goes on and he talks about the fruit of the spirit that we have already looked at. The idea then is that the Word of God is very clear and precise. It's important for believers to check, or professing believers, to see whether or not we are in the faith. And we have the specific guidelines for us to do that. It's a very challenging thing. It's a very threatening thing. Most of us don't like to do that. That's how audits are, unfortunately. But they are also necessary. Now this evening I want to do two things if I can. I want to finish up looking at the items in the negative, in the uh, area of our spiritual ledger, as it were. Things that we should not have in our life. We started this morning. But then we're going to finish up by asking you to share how God has been working in your life. Has he been speaking to you about anything? Have you made any decisions? Do you want to make any commitments? How serious are you about committing yourself in 2009 to, say at the end, to be able to say at the end of it, I am walking in the Spirit. I am living by the Spirit. And my life is characterized by these positive traits. We want you to share your heart with us. You want prayer about any of the areas of, that you're challenged with as an individual believer. That's what believers are supposed to do as well. We're going to give an opportunity for that this evening. But let's go back to Galatians chapter 5 and let's finish up where we left off this morning. By the way, when we got into the car this morning, I said to my wife Nancy, man, I'm tired. She said, you should be. You know how long you preach? 
I say, I know when I stop the usual time. You say, yeah, but you know what time you started? I won't get into that anymore, but... Galatians chapter 5. We stopped at the, uh, the um, characteristic outbursts of wrath or uncontrollable anger. We pick up the other one, which is selfish ambitions. My definition of that, again, is based on the understanding of the Greek word. I was going to give you all of the Greek words, but I know that's no use to me. It doesn't make sense doing that. But the definition that we've come up with is a selfish and self-aggrandizement attitude. Now, this selfish ambition trait is somewhat similar to contentions which we looked at previously. But now here, in this particular trait, the emphasis is upon strife and rivalry, competition. In fact, some Christian actually go to the point and say, that's why they don't believe in sports. Because it's competition. And it brings rivalry and conflict at times. Christians shouldn't be involved in sports. That's how far it goes. But that's the idea. Rivalry that brings strife. But it's the idea of a selfish attitude because the person wants to be spotlighted. He wants to be number one. You know, you listen to all of the sports athletes. And even in the, um, uh, what do you call them? Um, even in the Olympics, you never heard anyone saying, I'm running for the bronze or the silver. They're all in there for what? The gold. Number one. So this is talking about, but it's the idea that I'm going to do anything to be number one, no matter how bad I make number two. Look, I'm going to be number one. You're always trying to outdo or to another person or to steal the recognition from another person. You have the I can do it better than you attitude simply to gain spotlight. Now you might not be better, but you're going to push for it anyway. It's a desire to be number one, regardless of what it takes or how it puts down another person. That's a lust of the flesh. That's a work of the flesh. But then there's something similar to it. The next one, the next trait is dissensions. This is one who causes divisions that arise from difference of opinions or difference of aims of objectives. The King James Version translated the Greek word seditions. It's a seditious behavior. The idea is that the one who causes these divisions or dissensions or seditions are doing so because their views, their opinions are different from the other person and so they're going to go their way. Even if it causes a division. Paul was accused of this, in fact, in Ephesus. Because of converts who were destroying the business of the silversmiths. Remember, he went there and people came to Christ. And they were worshipping the goddess Diana. And they had these silver uh, statues. But when Paul came, so many became saved that they were 
not buying these things anymore. In fact, they were melting them down. And then this is what it says in that passage in, in, uh, in the book of Acts. He says, we have found this man, Paul, a real pest. And a fellow who stirs up dissension. That's the word. Among all the Jews throughout the world. And he's a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He was accused here of causing divisions, dissensions, and seditious behavior. Because of his different views and opinions. That happens within the church, unfortunately. And it happens not just over major issues like doctrine, that's when we deal with heresies that we're going to be looking at in a moment, but just little things like the color of a rug or the color of a wall to be painted. Do you know that new churches have started because some people didn't like the color that the church was painted in? Do you know that most people who leave one church and go to another does not do so because of doctrinal reasons, but personal little things like this? And they do it because they get the leading of God. It's amazing. This is what he's talking about. Things that cause divisions and disunity within the body of Christ. That's the work of the flesh. Paul uses the same word in Romans 16, 7. Where he warns against those who cause division. Splits and clicks because of false teaching. This is what it says. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions. See, this word, keep your eye on, in the, the epistles has it as mark that person. Mark them. Underscore them. Highlight them. Put them in bold. Let everybody know who they are. That's the idea. It isn't just you keep that in your own mind. No, no, no. You let people know that person is a person who causes divisions and problems and difficulties. Keep your eye on those who cause divisions and hindrances contrary to the teaching which you learned. And notice now, turn away from them. See, unfortunately, most Christians don't do that. They listen to the murmurings. And soon they become a part of it. And that's how it starts. That's the work of the flesh. That's the sentience. Now he goes on further. Heresies. All of these are related, but there's a different emphasis. Heresies has to do with those who cause divisions or splits arising from diversity of opinions and aims. Very similar to dissensions, but there's a twist here. What is focused on with heresy is the idea of choice. You all hear the term that I joined the party of my choice? You see, there are different opinions. I am a Paul, I am a Paulus. That caused divisions, seditions. But now when you make a choice, to join one of those because of a particular teaching or aim or objective, then it goes into the area of heresies. The matter of choice is done. You've done it because of a decision that you have made. 
The idea then is that heretics choose seditious or heretical teachings or positions. Now this is broadened, the meaning is broadened to mean individuals who choose to cause divisions and factions in the church due to their choosing another way that is in opposition to what most others regard as the right or proper way to do it. They choose to be contrary for personal advantage or profit. That's the idea. They choose to cause a division. Just doesn't happen accidentally or haphazardly. It's a choice. Those are what we can describe as societal sins or works of the flesh. Things that come about because of our relationship with one another. So as somebody said so aptly that the biggest problem with the church is the people. Dr. Hendricks used to tell us in class, he says, if you find a perfect church, please don't join it, because you'll spoil it. What Paul and Peter and the Holy Spirit is trying to teach us here is that if we profess to be believers, we need to check up ourselves by the way we live and the attitudes and actions that we manifest as to whether or not we are Christians or not. Or if we are, if we are growing spiritually by getting rid of some of these works of the flesh. But he goes on. The next negative trait he mentions is envy. This is an envious spirit, an envious spirit that cannot bear to accept someone else's good fortune. Have you ever met anyone like that? Anything is said good or this person enters or is chosen for some reason or whatever it is, you envy that person. It's difficult for you to say, hey man, I'm so glad, I'm so happy for you. Or you might say, I'm happy for you, but that time you're gritting your teeth. It should have been me. It should have been me. Now this is in the plural, if you see it, it's in plural, it's envyings. It's very closely related to the idea of jealousies mentioned earlier. But whereas jealousies may be good or evil, envying is always evil. This particular word, always. God is a jealous God, that's a positive thing. But he's not envious. It's an envious spirit that cannot bear to accept someone else's good fortune. We don't know how to obey that passage of scripture that says, we rejoice with those who rejoice. We can't do it. Now Paul goes on to mention another one. Murders. Now I don't know if I need a definition of murder, so I didn't have one. I think we all know what murders, what a murder is. However, same thing true of adultery. It's true of murders. He's not just talking about the act itself. But Jesus says, if you are my disciple, if you are a true disciple, your righteousness have exceed that of the Pharisees. And when they used to rejoice and I didn't kill anybody, yes, they hated. Personal hate for another. I hate you. I can't hate to see him. I can't bear to see him. I hate to see him. 
or her. It's an attitude of rejection of the person altogether and disdain just cannot bear the person. That's spiritual murder. If you hate that person to the point that you committed not to doing anything loving for that person. Now here's another one we don't even need to describe. Or, or maybe we do. Drunkenness. You see, some of these we look at, we say, oh, well, that don't apply to me. That's only when you look at it from the attitude of a Pharisee. It's amazing how many professing Christians really qualify for, to be a Pharisee, but not to be a Christian. If you go by our actions. Paul now deals with the this, this, this sins of strong drink. And he mentioned drunkenness. Drunkenness, of course, is the undisciplined, excessive indulgence of alcohol or the like that causes one to lose control of his or her mental and motor powers or abilities. You just don't behave yourself, as it were. That is, in a controlled fashion. It weakens people's rational and moral control over their words and actions. That's drunkenness. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul associates drunkenness with darkness and evil. In Ephesians 5.18, we were given the command to be filled with the Spirit. He says, do not be drunk with wine. Why? Because it's the cause of dissipation. That's debauchery. That's many of the things we listed before. Wantonness behavior, lewdness, immorality. That's where, where drunkenness leads us to. And that's why, you know, one... We have to realize, uh, beloved, that one of the biggest sins, if not the biggest problems we have in the Bahamas, is not drugs. Cocaine is alcohol. Alcohol ruins homes and families and destroys the, 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 the health of individuals. This is a state of uncontrollable, irrational, incoherent, immoral, and disgraceful behavior. God delivered me from that. That described my behavior for many years. You laughing? She laughing, I used to go down to where your daddy used to have the club. And that's where I used to do these things. I'm serious. No, I'm not blaming you for that, of course. <laughs> I'm just saying, that's the kind of lifestyle that I was involved in. If I describe to you some of the horrible things that I did as a young man, you wouldn't believe it's true. See, that's why I glory in the grace of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. I know where I came from. I know what he delivered me from. You see? Not only do I know what he delivered me from, I know what he's carrying me to. I know what he's delivered me to. None of these things should be present in the life of a believer at any time. Then he goes on, revelries. See, all of these things are connected with the drunkenness and this kind of a lifestyle. The King James says it's orgies. Orgies are always associated with drunkenness. Some young people like to watch the show, Girls Gone Wild. Those are the kind of things that 
vividly describe and portray for us what we talk about lewdness and immorality and drunkenness and orgies. But yet our young people look at it and laugh at it. And a lot of our young people, no, let me take that back, some go to places and clubs where these students have all these things right here in the Bahamas. I, I've seen pictures. Young people have brought me pictures to show other young people involved in these things. And then they come to church and they go to youth meetings and sing. See, those are the kinds of behavior. Those are the kinds of the things that the Holy Spirit is telling us. Hey, hey, check up yourself. Are you really in the faith? Beloved, I said to you before that my one desire is here that whenever, when I leave here, I, or you throw me out, or rapture cause, or whatever, but I'm here no longer. That if I'm remembered at all, I'm only remembered for the one thing. Well, well, many things, but this main one is that I have taught you how to worship God, to love God, and to love one another more than anything else. Oh yeah, understanding how to do your books and how to do psychology and how to take care of all of those things are important. But the most important thing for you and for me is to know how to worship God and know that we are doing it all the time because there's nothing in our life that prevents fellowship with Him. In other words, we're living a holy lifestyle. That is what I'm committed to. You see. Now he, he ends up, he says, and the like. Now I like that one, and the like. I believe it, Paul might have, was late, he must have been reading, writing these things late. And he just got tired writing. And he didn't want to enumerate anymore. And the like. Now some would say that like simply means the like, like drunkenness and orgies and all of those things. But I believe and the like means have to do like all of the things I've mentioned to you, the 16 items I've mentioned. Anything that has any kind of semblance of these works of the flesh. These are the things that you should not have. These are the things that keep you out of the kingdom of God. And if you are a professing believer, if you are a believer, these are the things that prevent fellowship with God. This list is not exhaustive. It includes many others of like nature of all the things that he's already mentioned. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Now notice how he ends the passage in verse 21. And these things like these of which I forewarn you. Just as I have forewarned you. In other words, you've done it before, he's doing it again. That those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now the word there is practice, that's in the present continuous tense in the language. It means it's something that is going on all the time. It's a way of life. Your life is characterized by it. 
He doesn't say that a Christian cannot fall into one or even more of these things. But he deals with it. And he, forget, and he confesses this. And he turns away from it through the power of the Spirit of God. But Paul says, if you practice it, is this a way of life? And you do it all the time? There's no concern about it? And you're doing nothing about it? You're not a part of the kingdom of God. Simple and clear cut as that. And so I ask you then, how do you read? Are you on the profit or lost side of your spiritual ledger? In fact, let me ask you, are you really saved? I say again, if any of these traits are an ongoing, consistent way of life for you, and you're not doing anything about it, or you're not troubled about it, I strongly implore you to take Paul's exhortation to examine yourself and to see whether or not you are truly a regenerated believer. If you say, yes, I am sure I am a believer, but I know that I'm fighting, I'm struggling with some of these things. They're remnants of these works of the flesh in my life. What plans have you made or are making or will make to eradicate them out of your life? Normally it starts with a commitment. It starts with a recognition. Lord, yes, the spotlight of your holy word and your Holy Spirit has beamed upon me. And I know I'm guilty of these things. I know these things are true of me. I want you to help me. I confess them and I commit myself to doing these things, reading the word, whatever it may be, in order to get them out of my life so that the fruit of the Spirit might take over. It might begin with a commitment on your part. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. You might realize tonight you're not saved at all. If you are, that you've been living an unholy, disciplined, undisciplined life. And you're enjoying a lot of these things that Paul says characterize those who have no part of the kingdom of God. And you want to do something about it. It can start with a commitment tonight. I'm not going to say when you go home, because none of us might get home. It has to begin now. And so what I'm going to do, I'm going to just lead in a brief word of prayer, and then I'm going to open the floor. If God has been speaking to you in any way, any way whatsoever, and you feel it will be profitable for us, Profitable for you, spiritually, to share. You might want us to pray for a particular struggle that you have. You might even want to acknowledge or confess something that you've done to the body as a whole. I don't know. But the point is that we're going to be walking by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. We have to obey what He's saying to us right now. So bow with me, please. We have some mics. Here I'm going to ask two of the young men, if you don't mind, to have them ready for anybody who would like to share in any way or fashion that the Spirit of God is working in your life. But please bow with me now. And then two of the young men, if you'd share the mics. Holy Spirit, you are the one who 
the triune God has made to be the one to bring enlightenment and conviction. Do your work in our lives, we pray. Help us to be submissive to your work in our life. Lord, were not for your grace and the blood of Christ, none of us would be able to be here tonight, much less me. But thank you for the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all our sin and the grace of God that reaches down into the filth of our life, cleanses us by the blood and closes in the righteousness of Jesus Christ and puts us in right standing. And none of us, none of us in this place tonight need to leave here separated from you, out of fellowship with you. All of us can be cleansed and clothed in the righteousness of Christ and in enjoying the fellowship of God. Oh, grant, we pray, that you might help us to clear the books, as it were, and start a new page, a page on which the Spirit of God himself will write as he gets control of our lives and work out the fruit of the Spirit for the glory of God and the good of the people of God. Speak to our hearts now, Lord. Lead us out. Whatever said may be done for your honor, not for self-aggrandizement, but just so that you would be glorified and your people will be built up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.